Good afternoon, good evening, good morning, ladies and gentlemen of the sports world, and welcome to the Weekend Sports Rep Podcast presented by Jack and Kathleen Wood of 307 Real Estate. I'm, I think I'm going to change the name of the podcast. I think I'm thinking about changing the name of the podcast. It doesn't actually, it doesn't roll off the tongue very well. And when I first made it, I think I wasn't thinking big picture. Uh, but now, you know, we don't just focus on the weekend. You know, once we start getting into the dog days of summer, we might be start talking about like big picture stuff and just like previewing NFL games for week after week because, you know, once August rolls around and baseball starting to lull on, uh, then we're going to start talking about football and it's not going to be about the weekend. It's going to be about the upcoming three months of football action. So I, I'm thinking about changing the name. We're not changing it yet. Uh, I, I don't have a good name yet to call it, but I'm, you know, just for as a, a preview is what is to come possibly a name change on the way for, uh, for the weekend sports rep podcast. I haven't figured it out yet though, but we, that that's a little bit down the line. We'll see if it changes. Uh, welcome to the show. I'm sorry. First things first. I want to apologize for last week. Uh, I had family coming to town and I just didn't have enough time, uh, to do the podcast. So I just missed out on it. I apologize. I had to skip over it. Family coming into town. I was hanging out with my older brother and his, his buddy came into town. I was hanging out with them for most of the week. So, uh, I just decided to skip out on the podcast, focus on hanging out with them, uh, and it was a great time. Shout out Matt, shout out Ryan, uh, fantastic time. It was fun to see them. And, uh, now we're here this week. I apologize. We've only had two podcasts in the last four weeks. That is entirely my fault. I apologize for that. But we're going to be a little more consistent now, all right? Nothing coming up on the old date book. Nothing nothing to worry about here in the next few days. So, or uh, not next few days, next few weeks, hopefully months uh, to worry about that's going to get in our way of recording the podcast. I think we're going to be okay for the next uh, next few weeks. So, welcome to the show. I apologize for last week. Uh, let's talk about what is today. Today is May 16th, ladies and gentlemen. Tuesday, May 16th, as of recording this, it was National Mimosa Day today. Uh, I'm not a mimosa guy personally, but, uh, you know, shout out to everybody that does mimosas. That's champagne and orange juice, if I remember correctly. I think that's right. Uh, So shout out mimosas, uh, a great drink that everybody loves to have during breakfast. It's just not for me. I don't love the taste of it. It's like a it's like fake sparkling orange juice. You know what I mean? I would rather have like uh, like Perrier with orange juice. That sounds really good. You actually. Now that I'm thinking about that, that sounds kind of gross. I don't know. Here's a t- here's a tip: Sprite and orange juice, great combo, uh, a fantastic combo. If you're not looking to drink like champagne and your orange juice, you can fake it till you make it. Throw a little Sprite and orange juice in there. I guarantee it'll taste better than champagne and orange juice. That is that is a JT guarantee right there. Just do that if you're not looking to have an actual mimosa. Uh, it's National Drawing Day. Not a drawer, but shout out everybody that is a drawer. International Day of Light. I don't know what that means. I don't know if it means like physically light bulbs. I'm not sure, but it just says International Day of Light. Maybe it's like the metaphorical light, like the light you bring into the world, that sort of thing. But it shows a picture of a light bulb, so it might actually literally just mean International Day of Light. So happy International Day of Light, whatever. It is also, big one here, National Barbecue Day. Literally, I think one of the only types of meals that you can have, at, no matter where you are, that it is, I think, socially acceptable to just be an animal when you're eating barbecue, right? Ribs, uh, all messy all over the face. You're eating like an absolute pig, you know, basically eating until you cannot take it anymore. That is uh, the the premise of barbecue, right? You just eat it until you cannot take it anymore, until you feel like it's going to come back up. 
That is peak barbecue because it is so good that you're like, I'm not going to stop eating this. I don't need utensils. I'm going to eat this pulled pork sandwich. I'm going to scrounge down on these ribs. You know, I need you. Well, some of them need utensils, but most of the time I would say you probably don't need utensils. And it's, I think it's really the only one other than like tiny finger foods, but like the entire, the entire barbecue genre for food is like, you know, uh, utensils not required. And everybody loves barbecue. Who doesn't love barbecue? Barbecue's some of the best, one of the, one of the great things, I know Korean barbecue, uh, it originated from Korean barbecue when uh, the uh, army, U.S. American soldiers were over in Korea and they were fascinated by the idea of Korean barbecue. So they brought it back over to the United States. Uh, and, you know, really two of the only places that I can think of off the top of my head that really celebrate barbecue uh, the way that we do the U.S. and Korea because we got it from Korea. Fun fact for you. There you go. Uh, it's also national waiters day and this is a perfect transition shout out to my brother my brother graduated he's a waiter he, uh, he waits down here in sheridan uh and he is a waiter and he graduated from uw on saturday is that right yeah saturday so shout out to my brother will uh graduated bachelor's degree in communications bachelor of arts in communications and journalism so shout out to will timberlake my brother graduated today he's also a waiter so happy waiters day to him as well but that's probably not nearly as high on his mind right now as graduating from UW. So congrats to him. Bachelor's degree. Uh, one thing I do have to pick a bone with Laramie graduation was at eight 30 AM, eight 30 AM on a Saturday and nobody and all, of course, all the hotels were filled up like months in advance. Nobody could get into that place. So we had to leave to get there in time at like three 30 in the morning. Like, what are we doing there? Laramie, let's just push all of them back a little bit. Because nobody lives in your city uh, other than college students. I mean, no offense to the people that actually live in Laramie, but I'm talking parents, peer, parents of college students don't actually live in Laramie. Like most of those people are making that drive to get to Laramie by 830 in the morning. And nobody lives in Laramie other than college students. And Cheyenne's still like an hour, an hour and a half away. Sheridan is four hours. We had to get in there, drive from 330 a.m., try to get there by 8 a.m., and it was, I mean, it was fine. The drive wasn't terrible, but I just, you know, road trips. I'm not a road trip guy, but having to get up at 3.30 a.m. and then do a road trip is like probably top five of my least favorite things to do in in the world, to be honest with you. Um, so that was, that was, that was on Saturday. And Laramie, I wish we could just do that a little differently. You know, I, I wish, I wish we could do it just a, just a tad bit differently. Uh, it is also National Stop Nausea Day. I don't know what that means. Uh, you know, stop, nod, don't, just don't throw up. You know what makes me throw up? This is a perfect transition. And we're going to get into sports. You know what makes me throw up? People, players, professional basketball players, not living up to their full potential when it comes to the amount of talent. And nothing because, nothing with what they do on the court. It is what they're doing off the court that hurts their full potential, that ultimately could hurt uh, their legacy in the long run. And their ability to actually play the game that they're playing in the long run because of what they're doing off the court. And that, of course, ladies and gentlemen, I am referring to John Morant. What the hell is John Morant doing? Is he an idiot? What is he doing? For those that you don't for those of you that don't know, John Morant, uh, point guard for the Memphis Grizzlies. He was filmed once again. Once again. I, I can't believe we're doing this again. Uh, once again, filmed flaunting a gun on Instagram line, uh line, Instagram live. Uh, and, uh, the gun, it was just, it was a pistol that he was flaunting around during a, I believe it was an NBA young boy song. If I'm in, if I remember correctly, uh, that was playing in the car and he was with some friends and he just for no reason, just literally 
No reason. Uh, just pulled a gun out and started waving around, you know, you know, bouncing to the beat and everything like that. Uh, and I just, by the way, I mean, your digital footprint is really a real thing. It is truly something you have to pay attention to uh, because that I think there were only like 113 live viewers that were watching that uh, live broadcast on Instagram live. It was not John Morant's live. It was his friend's live and his friend was live and John Morant was in shotgun and there were only 113 people watching the Instagram live and it still blew up like crazy after the image of Morant flaunting the gun was out there. It's really, I mean, even with 113 viewers, if you're big enough, uh, that will pop off and and go viral for all the wrong reasons. And that is what's happening to John Morant right now. And let's not forget, this is not the first time. I think a lot of people are more upset, not with the fact that he's just flaunting a gun, but it's because it's the second time he's doing it in just such an idiotic, it just doesn't, I don't understand why he's doing it. It's not like he's doing it in any, uh, just, you know, he's not pulling a gun on somebody in defense of himself or anything like that. He's just flaunting the fact that he has one. And there was a player over the weekend, I think, uh, and I can't remember who it was off the top of my head. I apologize. But there was a player that said after this this clip went viral of John, John Morant, he said uh, something of the effect, look, we all have guns. Like everybody in the league has guns. There's literally no reason to flaunt them. Everybody knows that we all have guns. That is something that is common in the league. Just the fact of carrying uh, weaponry around because it's, you know, you have the money to do it. You can purchase guns. It's a it's a uh, something that flows through the NBA for whatever reason. But there was a player that said that. And it brought up a good point. There was no reason. There's no reason for Morant to just be Morant to just be flaunting this around uh, for for no reason other than to look like he is, you know, uh, hard or uh, somebody not to be trifled with, you know, that sort of thing. And it's just going to hurt him in the end. Again, he's done this already before. He went to he entered a, a counseling program. I'm going to put that in quotations because we're going to come back to it here in a second. Uh, back in March, after doing the exact same thing. Over Instagram, I don't remember if it was over Instagram Live, but I think it was on a story of some sort uh, in a Denver club right before they started, right before they played the Nuggets uh, back in March. And he got suspended eight games for that, just eight games. And he went to a counseling program. Um, this is something I want to say about the counseling quote unquote program. Um, I, I'm surprised that the reaction is so uh, surprised, I guess. You know what I mean? Uh, because the counseling program that he went to was like a 96 hour counseling. It really felt like more of a PR stunt than it was for the, you know, a PR stunt for the NBA, the Memphis Grizzlies, uh, John Morant himself, and the better part of a lot of that, because they're all trying to protect the money at this point. They don't really necessarily, and this goes for all the athletes that make mistakes like this. They don't really care necessarily about the person. It's more about the money that they are uh, surrounded by. And I think that, um, the weird 96 hour counseling session that he uh, program that he went to in Florida um, as a way of creating the PR around him to make it look like he was a fixed and a better man. Uh, and he immediately after he got out of that quote unquote counseling program in Florida, um, they ESPN had immediately set up a interview with him, a one-on-one -on -one interview. Like it was the decision uh, where, you know, I think it was Jalen Rose talking to him across from him uh, about his decision-making and stuff like that and how he was a changed man after 96 hours. We really thought that the 96 hour counseling program where he just went somewhere for 96 hours came out of it and would have that that completely changed his outlook on what this could 
do to potentially him in terms of uh, how it could hurt his legacy in the NBA, uh, the the money, the contracts that he could lose out on because of this. And in order to, uh, in my opinion, pound that into somebody's head, it takes more than a 96 hour counseling session in uh, a 96 hour uh, counseling program in Florida and just some sort of PR stunt one on one interview to try to make it look like he's a changed person. You know, you can make anybody look like a changed person with the correct amount of, you know, uh, a PR team prep and that and that sort of thing. Uh, you can make anybody look like a different person. That's just, you know, what the PR is there for. So I partially blame um, a lot of the media, ESPN, uh, partially, and the NBA in general as well. Morant is not going to slide by any means, obviously. I mean, he really, I mean, the fact that he lacked so severely in judgment in this situation to do it the same, essentially the same exact thing again uh, is incredibly disappointing. He's not a kid by any means. He's 23 years old. Uh, and he's an adult. He should know better than all this. He grew up in a uh, pretty decent neighborhood from all things that I've seen. It's not like he has a bad, a bad, you know, a bad home life from everything that we've seen with his mother and his father or anything like that. Uh, and this is something that they should, that he should know lapse in judgment. Um, but for whatever reason, I mean, he should have noticed that it was a bad lapse in judgment the first time. And the fact that he's doing it the second time just shows that he hasn't really learned anything. Uh, and I, I'm hoping that because, you know, I don't want to wish bad on him or anything like that. I hope he figures out that he's doing something stupid and he's going to change it in the long run. That is obviously the hope for all of, for this entire situation. Um, and I think the only way to do that is if you're the NBA, you really give him a major suspension. There's a lot of overreactions happening on uh, in, in the NBA sphere. Uh, I think Chandler Parsons said to suspend him for the entire season, which is that's pretty ridiculous. Let's be honest. Uh, he did make the NBA look bad though. I mean, he did the first time now he really made the NBA look bad. Uh, so I would not be surprised if we saw him suspended for like half the season next year or something like that. Uh, and in that say, I mean, if that's the case, it's very possible that just this one, this one instance, really both those instances, but just the, the flaunting of a gun on Instagram on Instagram live and Instagram stories, uh, could cost the Grizzlies next year a legitimate chance uh, at making another run in the playoffs because, you know, half a season without John Morant, the, the Grizzlies' best player, uh, and they're losing a couple guys to free agency as well, could, I mean, that will almost certainly seriously hurt that team when it comes to uh, making some sort of run in the standings in the Western Conference for half a season. And then at that point, you're just battling for most of the season to try to make the play-in or something like that. Now, we have no idea if that's actually what is going to happen, obviously. I would expect the NBA to have a substantial suspension handed down because this is because this is the second time and he's really made a fool of the NBA in this sense. And the other thing is the fact that he showed such a lack in judgment while the person that was filming the video showed that he was obviously making a mistake. Not the person filming, like the, the person filming the video wasn't making the mistake, that John Morant was making the mistake. He immediately, if you watch the video of him on the live, immediately when he notices that Ja has a gun in his hand and he's like flaunting it around on the Instagram live, the camera immediately cuts to like the back seat of the car essentially so that he can tell Ja to put the gun away because, hey, you just made a mistake like this before, not, you know, three months ago. Maybe this isn't the best idea. The fact that the person filming this noticed that and Ja Morant didn't notice that, the person who actually got in trouble for it, the guy that just signed a massive contract contract extension with the Memphis Grizzlies who has millions of dollars tied to him, hundreds of millions of dollars tied to him for the future, for the future of that franchise. 
uh, is just a very concerning situation for the Memphis Grizzlies uh, and him in general. I mean, if he doesn't try to figure out uh, or not, not even figure out, it's just something that he has to develop as a, an adult because he's 23 years old. He's an adult now. He should know that maybe this is not the smartest thing to do, period. Even with the the situation that has already occurred uh, just three months ago, like I said, back in March, he should know this isn't a good idea with you know uh, the fact that I'm a massive, huge superstar in one of the uh, biggest worldwide games on planet Earth. Maybe the idea of me flaunting a gun around for fun for no other reason than posturing uh, is, is a bad idea. And uh, we'll see if he learns it. I think... The NBA is going to come down with a very uh, a very hard suspension. I would imagine it probably be close to half a season. I don't think they're going to do a full season. I'd be stunned if they did a full season just to throw away uh, a full season for both him and the Memphis Grizzlies in that sense. They'd be basically trying to tank at that point because, uh, I mean, there's no reason to try to play for a playoff spot at that point if John Morant's not coming back. Uh, so I would think it'd probably be for about half a season. Uh, and I, I think that's totally fair because if you're the NBA you're just looking at the situation as he just made us look really bad because we sent him to this more or less uh, 96 hour counseling program as I'm going to say kind of a PR stunt to try to make him look better, even though it was just a complete lapse in judgment, something that seems like it's an easy fix, like a, Hey, you shouldn't do that. You got to be smarter. That's, you know, probably how simple it should be to tell somebody like that. And for the NBA, uh, for, for Morant to do that to the NBA a second time, I don't think the NBA is going to be very, uh, very easy when it comes to their suspension this time. Uh, and they might send them to, and you know, I think an actual counseling situation or something like that, not one that's for the same place that you send, uh, or you know, drunk people for the weekend, essentially. But uh, we'll see what the NBA does. I we'll see what John Morant does. I, I have no idea what to expect out of the situation. It wasn't something I was expecting to see again, at least this early from John Morant. So. I was very disappointed because he's he's one of the best talents in the NBA. He's one of the most fun players to watch in the NBA. Uh, he makes that entire Memphis team very fun to watch in general. He gives that entire Memphis team some sort of personality as well. They all kind of follow him. And uh, he's going to have to start becoming a leader for that locker room because they don't. They have a lot of young guys in that locker room as well. And if it's not going to be him, they're going to have to find somebody else to turn to. It's Steven Adams is one of those guys. He's kind of the, the vet for that team, but uh, he's not, you know, the the f- the former star vet, if that makes sense, that's kind of gone through this stuff that can kind of point John Morant in the, in the correct direction. Uh, and we'll see if the Memphis Grizzlies try to find somebody like that. Um, but I don't know. I, the entire situation at this point, we're just predicting. And um, my prediction is uh, I think he's probably going to be suspended for, I would say, half the season next year. I would be stunned if it's anything less than that or anything more than that uh, and anything less than that, too, as well. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see what happens with John Morant. But uh, Ja. Let's stop being stupid. Ladies and gentlemen, it is time for a break to hear from one of our sponsors. That is right. A sponsor of the program. We have our first sponsor on this program in the history of the program, and it is Jack and Kathleen Wood at 307 Real Estate. Now, look, ladies and gentlemen, I get it. You got to navigate the real estate market. It is impossible. Everybody on House Hunters makes it look super easy. They just go into three different houses and they pick the house they want. Boom, bang, boom. Episode's over. They have a house. It's not that easy, ladies and gentlemen. And Jack and Kathleen Wood will be able to help you throughout that process. And even the people in House Hunters, they have a real estate agent. And these people, Jack Wood, Kathleen Wood at 307 Real Estate could be your House Hunter-esque 
real estate agents. So if you're looking to buy real estate, sell real estate in the Sheridan area, these are the two people you should call Jack at 307-763-1249 and Kathleen at 307-461-7203. So listeners, one of the only things I'll ask from you is to support the people that support the show. And that includes these two, Jack and Kathleen Wood at 307 Real Estate. Thank you very much for the sponsorship and make sure you contact them for all of your real estate needs at 307-763-1249 and 307-461-7203. All right, let's move on. We're going to keep it in basketball because we had two uh, two really beautiful conclusions to series, I think. And uh, I'm not, uh, beautiful is maybe, I'm showing a little too much bias because I don't, really dislike either of these teams to be honest with you or like either of these teams i just like seeing the public discourse between these two teams after stuff like this happens uh and it was two teams in particular the suns of course uh the weird discourse between the suns and other nba fans for whatever reason i don't really understand why i think it might be just because it's devin booker and it's cp3 people look at cp3 as kind of a dirty player uh devin booker i'm not sure i don't know why a lot of people hate devin booker i think it's maybe because He's kind of a, a quote-unquote pretty boy, you know what I mean, where he's a good-looking guy, uh, and he'll, you know, dot you up for 45 points in a game, no problem. I don't know why it really is that everybody hates the Suns other than that, though. It's weird. Um, and the other one's the 76ers. And the 76ers, I can understand that one uh, because the fan base is kind of, I mean, it's Philadelphia, so... You know, they're very passionate about their 76ers, and we've heard we've heard Sixers fans talk about the fact that they're the process, you know, they're going to, they're going to finally turn things around around with Joel Embiid. And, uh, that hasn't happened yet. And other than, you know, this year, the Allen Iverson days, the 76ers, um, history as a franchise is similar to the Knicks. I would say, even though the Sixers, I would, I would confidently say probably a more historical franchise when it comes to basketball than even the Knicks, but they both suffer from similar issues where, a lot of their success has come from, you know, 40 plus years ago, the last finals that the, uh, that the Sixers won was in 1982, 1983 when Moses Malone and Julius Irving were on the team. And then before that, it was 1966, 67 when it was Will Chamberlain. And then before that, they were the Syracuse Nationals and it was 1954, 1955. And, and the, the team, the, the championship winning team was led by Adolf Shays. So you know, that's kind of, and we'll always hear that they're a historical franchise. You know, they suffer from the same thing. One of the uh, backbones of the NBA, which granted, you know, I'm not going to disagree with that. They're a historical franchise. A lot of historical players have run through Philadelphia, Julius Serving, like I said, Moses Malone, Charles Barkley, uh, Will Chamberlain, list goes on and on. Uh, but not a lot to show for. Three championships in a what is it, 100 or not 174, 75, 74 season. Um, history for the 76ers and three championships to show for it. The Warriors have won four in the last 10 years. So, you know, it's a lot of, uh, it's a lot of talking, even though they haven't had a lot to show for it in the last 40 years, just 40 years. Um, so I can understand that one. It's a similar situation with the Sixers. Uh, the Suns, though, the Suns, I don't really get. I think it's just because they're the new kids on the block. They're doing the same sort of thing that the Grizzlies are doing, where they're like the new kids on the block, and they're show, they're trying to strut their stuff as uh, the new best team in the NBA. You know that sort of thing. Even though they they haven't had they haven't really proved it either. Uh, and it it only have it only got worse this past weekend. Um, 
I guess it was a little before the weekend for the Suns. But let me take you back, okay? May 15th, 2022, uh, literally almost a year ago on the dot, a year and one day ago on the dot. May 15th, 2022 is game seven in Phoenix of the conference final or the conference semifinals with a chance to go to the conference finals. The Suns are taking on the Dallas Mavericks and Suns are at home. A lot of people are thinking, okay, the Suns are at home. This should be they're they're, they're They just went to the finals a season ago. Uh, they seem to be more talented than this Mavericks team. This Mavericks team is kind of punching up above their weight. Uh, and a lot of people are expecting the Suns at home to defeat the Mavericks and move to the conference finals for the second season in a row. And lo and behold, the Mavericks come in and just obliterate the Suns on the road, 123 to 90 in game seven in Phoenix. Uh, the game was basically over by halftime. Luca diced up the Phoenix Suns. And he basically could have sat the entire fourth quarter. I think he almost did. I think he almost did sit the entire fourth quarter. Uh, and the Mavericks just com- completely uh, dominated the Suns. And everybody kind of had a, the, a field day with the Suns uh, you know, on Twitter, on Reddit, you know, the whole thing, the whole spiel. Uh, everybody was kind of making fun of the Suns because they were supposed to be the next team that was uh, next up, if you will, on the list to make one of those big runs, uh, the next team to take the mantle over from uh, the Warriors to be the next team out of the Western Conference that's going to be repeated finals contenders. Uh, but that didn't happen. Game 7, 123 to 90 uh, in Game 7 in Phoenix. That was a year ago. Then it's the same situation. We're in Game 6 now instead of Game 7. So it's Game 6. Uh, the Nuggets are playing the Suns this time, and the Suns are back at home. They cannot let this happen again. They're looking to exercise some demons, you know, Uh, not going to let this happen at home again, not going to lose at home in an elimination game. They're down three, two. So in order to win this, win this series, they have to win this game and then go back to Denver, which a lot of people would argue uh, would not go well for them in that scenario. But it doesn't matter. They just have to win this game to get back to Denver to have a chance at a game seven. Uh, So it looks like they're going to exercise their demons. They're going to try to uh, and they're going to move on. But. That's not what happens. It's just not what happens. The Nuggets completely dominate. Once again, they completely dominate the uh, Phoenix Suns winning 125 to 100. It is the same exact thing. Maybe uh, not as embarrassing, I would say, because, um, you know, it's not a, a at times a 40 point game, which it was last year, but it's still a complete domination at home again. Uh, and people will argue that you have a better team this year if you're the Phoenix Suns than you did last year. Uh, just maybe not, uh, you know, in your starting five, maybe not top to bottom. You're, the bench is still a little, it, it was a little weak heading into the playoffs. Uh, and But they landed Kevin Durant, which is undoubtedly one of the best players uh, in the history of the game, nonetheless the league right now, uh, with Devin Booker. They didn't have Chris Ball. He was hurt, but some people are also making the argument that uh, team looked a little bit better with Chris Paul out of the game. But, you know, that's neither, that's neither here nor there. Nonetheless, they get dominated. Devin Booker puts up a stinker, absolute stinker. 12 points. He had a minus 27 plus minus. He got four for 13 from the field. Uh, Kevin Durant had a decent game. He had 23 points, eight for 19 shooting. But of all the people, this is a, a common thread that you'll see between the two six, the Sixers teams and the Suns team that both just threw up all over themselves this weekend. Uh, campaign, Cameron Payne, he played 42 minutes in this game. In game six, campaign is playing the most minutes out of everybody on this team. He had 31 points. Still had a minus 10, but 31 points, 12 of 16 shooting. That was the leading scorer for the Phoenix Suns. And that, I think a lot of people are scratching their head at. How is it that Cameron Payne is leading a team that should have finals hopes uh, in 
the uh, an elimination game heading in the, in, in the in the semifinals with a chance to get to the conference finals. How is it that Cameron Payne is the guy leading the team in scoring over Kevin Durant and Devin Booker, who are both on the same team? A lot of questions to be asked and a lot of, uh, you know, uh, we're waiting on answers. That's I think that's what we'll say. But they've done it again. The, the Suns do it again this weekend. They throw up all over themselves, just absolutely barf it all up. Not as bad as last year. I'll say that because you can't lose by about 35 in a game seven and expect not to get clowned on. The, uh, the Suns still got clowned on regardless. They got clowned on, lost by 25 instead of 35. So a little bit of progress, uh, but they still lost in an elimination game. It's not game seven, but it's still an elimination game. And then the one that's head scratching to me, to be honest with you, uh, the Suns, after they lose that game, 125 to 120 in game six of the semis uh, this year, they fired Monty Williams, the head coach for the Suns. Um, I, I think a lot of people are going to say it's understanding uh, because losing by 25, just getting dismantled at home in game six, basically for the second year in a row uh, at home, getting dismantled in an elimination game is not a good showing if you're a head coach. And I would argue that I- I'm not going to make the argument that he shouldn't have gotten fired. I think that's an understandable situation uh, because you can't that that can't happen two seasons in a row. You have to have some sort of progress and improvement when it comes to, uh, you know, uh, phasing off elimination uh, and not get, just getting destroyed by 25 plus both times, but I will say this, um, Monty Williams in his defense, he was basically playing with two different teams from the beginning of the season to after the trade deadline of the season. Uh, they go and get Kevin Durant, which I, you know, one of the best basketball players on planet earth. Uh, but they trade a lot of their bench away. A lot of the other key role players that they had, uh, they trade them away to Brooklyn in order to create the space for Kevin Durant. They lose Chris Paul in the middle of the series as well, down in game two. He never came back. Uh, And I think it's a legitimate question to be asked if you're um, the Suns front office, if you're fans of the Suns. I don't know. I I mean, I don't know what you're going to find outside of Monty Williams that's going to improve this team and take them to the next level. A lot of the people on the market right now, uh, I think, suffer from the same situational problems that Monty Williams has had. But again, Monty Williams is basically was basically playing with two different teams from the beginning of this year to the trade deadline where it was Kevin Durant thrown into the lineup for the Suns expected to make huge improvements to that team, which, you know, and again, the other thing is too, he was hurt for a lot of the time that he was with the Suns. He got hurt. Uh, I think he like sprained his ankle or something like that during, during warmups in uh, before one of the games. And he didn't play very much with the, the Suns either when he was down there. So uh, there was a lot of change going on around Monty Williams at the time with his team. Uh, and I think the great ones granted will find a way to uh, move around that change, subvert the change, uh, subvert a lot of the changes that are going around the lineup and still be able to put the best lineup out there, play the best basketball with the lineup that is out there. See Eric Spolstra, Steve Kerr, for the most part, uh, the, you know, the, the top, the upper echelon of coaches that you'll see in the NBA uh, are able to kind of subvert that. But, at the same time, it's, I would say, almost impossible. You have to really nail it uh, if you're able to find one of those to upper echelon coaches. Eric Spolster has been with the Heat for, what, 20 years now? He's probably one of the best 75 coaches in the NBA. He led his team to a conference finals as, they, as an eight seed with Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler being basically the lone guy on that team doing a lot of the damage. And Bam Adebayo is playing a little bit better, but he's you know been off and on for a lot of the playoffs. Uh, and then um, Steve Kerr, who has 
really thrown himself into that conversation as one of the great coaches in the history of the game as well was Steph Curry uh, being able to build a team around essentially all shooters with Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, uh, and using Draymond Green to the most effective use of Draymond Green, of what Draymond Green could be. Um, and those are really the two guys, other than, uh, you know, uh, Greg Popovich, even though it, you know, that team hasn't been good, uh, even though, you know, they were great for 25 years in this league. Obviously, I'm not, you know, saying anything poorly towards Greg Popovich, but they haven't been nearly that team in the last five years. So, um, you know, if you're one of those coaches, you have to be, it's very, very, very difficult to find in the NBA, especially uh, because one, I, we have this, the NBA has this weird thing with, especially the NBA, the NBA front offices love to fire their coaches. It happens a lot. It happened a lot this weekend at Budenholzer. And then just recently, uh, literally, I think today, uh, the Sixers also fired Doc Rivers. So it's a league that is, you are expected if you're a head coach, you are expected to bring in success almost immediately. If you have the team around you, you do not get a lot of breathing room to try to develop the team that is there. You basically have to be shown showing improvement or you will already be on the hot seat. Uh, Doc Rivers was in Philadelphia for three seasons and he's already being let go. Granted, Doc Rivers has not, uh, I mean, he, the team in Philadelphia was decent year over year. I think he increased in win total year over year, uh, but the team didn't advance any further once he got there. And I think Doc Rivers also has slid a little bit uh, when it comes to criticism towards his ability to develop a team. He was with that Clippers team for uh, almost seven seasons, I think, six or seven seasons when they were in the prime of the Clippers era, to be honest with you, uh, when they had Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan uh, in that that big three. They never got past the Eastern Conference semis. They never made it to the Western Conference or the Eastern Conference, the Western Conference finals uh, as well. So I think maybe he slid a little bit. He's really, really, really made a reputation off on the backs off of uh, off the backs of that Boston Celtics championship in 2007, 2008. And then when he made it back to the finals in 2009, 2010, since then, though, Doc Rivers has not really shown an ability to get back there. I mean, he hasn't shown an ability to get back there. He hasn't shown an ability to get back to the conference finals by any means through uh, whether it was with the Clippers or Philadelphia after his time in Boston. So um, Doc Rivers is maybe somebody you can make the argument for that he has shown enough after three seasons that there hasn't really been in a huge improvement in the way that he is uh, his coaching style or the way that he has improved the team enough to get them to conference finals. But Monty Williams, in my opinion, is different. He's coached basically this team and one other team, New Orleans, back from 2010 to 2014. Uh, but this is only his second coaching gig. He had assistant heads, uh, head coach positions between those uh, between the two head coaching jobs. And I think you can give him more of a benefit of the doubt than you can Doc Rivers because, one, that team, the, the Philadelphia 76ers, didn't change over year much more than trying to develop off of injuries, whereas Monty Williams' team in uh, Phoenix changed drastically from seasons, the beginning of the season to the trade deadline and then into the playoffs where you lose one of your core pieces in, uh, in CP3 during the uh, the Western Conference semifinals. So I think... In my opinion, that one has the biggest argument to be made about maybe jumping the gun if you're Phoenix. I don't know who you're going to find on the open market that is going to provide a bigger boost to your team as a head coach 
right now. And that's, you know, part of the the, the conversation is you're not going to be able to find him if you don't go searching for him. But I still think Monty Williams had, I mean, I think he's going to find a job. I think he has still shown that he has a very good ability of being a head coach. Um, but I, I, if you're the Phoenix Suns, I don't know what you're going to be searching for to try to make this team have the extra leap that it needs to make it back to uh, the NBA Finals. So the Monty Williams firing maybe in my opinion, jumped the gun just a tad. Uh, but the Doc Rivers one, I think, is totally understandable. That leads us into the Sixers. We'll t- let's talk about them for just a little, uh, a second. Uh, they completely choke it away against Boston. They throw up all over themselves as well. They blew a 3-2 series lead over Boston in the Eastern Conference semifinals. Uh, they the, the, the Sixers stars, they played terrible, absolutely terrible in Game 7. Embiid and Harden uh, both combined for half of the amount of points that Jason Tatum of the Boston Celtics scored by himself. Jason Tatum scored 51 points, uh, the greatest Game 7 performance we've seen in terms of point total, which is funny because Steph Curry had the greatest Game 7 performance of all time in terms of point total uh, literally just a week ago. We were all marveling at how good uh, Steph Curry was, how how amazing watching a 50-point piece on, on a national stage in Game 7 was incredible, and then Jason Tatum takes it over and breaks that record in basically a week and a half. Uh, and so Tatum scores 51. Embiid and Harden combined for 24 points. That is it. That's all they got from the superstars, the MVP of the league, Joel Embiid, when it comes to Game 7. In a win or die. Win or die, you're down. You're up. The series is tied 3-3. You're looking for an opportunity to not blow a 3-2 series lead. Looking to exercise the demons that uh, everybody talks about when it comes to Joel Embiid. The fact that he never made in the in Eastern Conference Finals since joining the, the league, becoming the quote-unquote process that everybody talks about with the Philadelphia Sixers, Philadelphia 76ers uh, taking over the nickname as the process. He's never made an Eastern Conference Finals, and that's what he was looking to exercise, looking to get rid of those uh, those those demons, uh, and it did not happen. Boston said, no, sir, you are, you will not make it to the Eastern Conference Finals again, and uh, he does not, and he's the only MVP in the history of the NBA to never make a Conference Finals. Now, granted, his career is not over yet, obviously, but I think we can start taking and looking at Embiid. I'm, I, you know, I'm not going to say he's not a number one or anything like that. He's clearly one of the best players in the league by all means. But there is a legitimate question to be said, uh, to be asked for Joel Embiid that he needs more help than other MVPs that we've seen in the past. You know, Nikola Jokic is doing it with. Ba- I mean, Jamal Murray's played very well, uh, but other than him, Nikola Jokic has basically tried to put the Nuggets on his back and carry them to the Western Conference Finals. He dropped a game six triple double. Uh, He's been absolutely unbelievable during the playoffs. He's, you know, he's proven time and time and time again that he is one of the best players in the league. And in the playoffs, when the lights are shining the brightest, the cameras and the reporters and the microphones are all pointed towards you. uh, And B didn't show up. He just didn't show up for the playoffs. He took a drastic a, de- a drastic downgrade from averaging 33 points per game in the regular season. He dropped down to 23.7 points per game in the regular season, or excuse me, in the playoffs. He averaged 33 in the regular season. Uh, he shot 55, almost 55% from the floor in the regular season. He shot 43% from the floor during the playoffs. He just doesn't, he, ha- he didn't play well in these playoffs. And historically, he has not shown that he is uh, an MVP worthy candidate in the playoffs. He, sh- he averages, I think, 24 points per game in 40 plus games in the playoffs. He just, 
becomes a different player. For whatever reason, he just becomes a different player when it comes to the playoffs. And also, not to mention, Harden similarly, for whatever reason, I don't know why it is, but Harden, whenever he is playing towards the back end of a series, there are times where he just evaporates off of the court. That is something that we've seen when he was with Houston, and that is something we've seen when he has been with uh, Philadelphia as well. He just evaporates off of the court. He just disappears. And that's something that is also becoming... Uh, a problem for Embiid as well in, in this in this series uh, alone during the fourth quarter or in the second half of that game seven against the Celtics in the second half these are your two superstars on the 76ers the second half of game seven against the Boston Celtics in Boston James Harden in the second half had three points and Joel Embiid had two points in the second half Jason Tatum in the second half of his game in in game seven 26 points he had 26 points in the second half where Embiid and Harden, the two superstars for the, the, the MVP and Joel Harden, the MVP, er, I said Joel Harden and Joel Embiid, the MVP and Joel Embiid scored two points in the second, in the second half, shooting one for six while James Harden, three points, only shooting one for three. Tobias Harris was the leading scorer in the second half and the game for the Philadelphia 76ers in game seven. He had 19 points. 7 of 13 shooting, and in the second half, he had 11 points alone, shooting 4 of 8. That's a problem. That is a huge issue that Embiid seems to struggle with, as well as Harden. We've seen it with Harden more so than Embiid, I would say. Uh, For whatever reason, Harden has a problem when it comes to the latter half of series, especially Game 7. Harden just seems to evaporate. He seems to not want to be on the court at times when it comes to uh, later games in later series. Uh, He just begins to kind of break down and not be the player uh, that I mean, let's not forget he had 45 points in a game this in a game in the series. He dropped 45 in game one, and then from go, to go from that 45 in game one, dragged that team who was without Joel Embiid in that game, dragged the 76ers in game one to a victory over Boston in Boston, a huge, uh, a historic performance. And then, not to mention 42 points in game four. To go from that 45 points in game one to 42 points in game four, to nine points in game seven. The in, in the biggest game of the entire series for Harden to just dip out like that is uh, three of eleven shooting in the in game seven nine points a minus thirty uh, is head scratching. I don't know what happens to Harden. It's really weird. Over his entire career in game and playoffs first in, in playoff games he's shooting twenty two. Uh, he's, he's scoring twenty two points per twenty two point seven points per game in the play, in playoffs. This is including game sevens. Uh, and he's shooting forty two point four percent in his career in playoff games and then for whatever reason when it comes to game sevens uh he shoots he, he still scores 21.3 points per game but he shoots down to 36 percent and he only makes 22 percent of three-pointers so he completely falls off going from 33 percent in uh in in other playoff games 33 percent down to 22 percent in just game sevens averaging 21.3 points per game something happens in game sevens i don't know it's really weird uh, he averages a minus two in those games as well, whereas in other playoff games, he has a plus 22.6 uh, in other playoff games. It's very strange. I don't know what happens to James Harden in game seven. And it's weird to have these two as the pairing that you're kind of counting on. They have a history of uh, in Joel Embiid and James Harden just kind of choking away and kind of throwing up all over themselves. Once the later the series goes, you can kind of count on the opposing team to find a way to make it back and make it a series and then win that series. That is a problem that's plagued both Harden and Joel Embiid uh, in their careers. And I I don't think I want to say this too early, 
But I think we have to start having a legitimate conversation of the failings of the actual process with the Philadelphia 76ers. They nailed Joel Embiid. I'm, I'm looking back to 2013, 2014, excuse me, when they drafted Joel Embiid. That is when the process, quote unquote, looked like it was starting to uh, gain traction. It looked like all those years of losing for the 76ers was really starting to turn around. When they drafted Joel Embiid, he looked like he was going to be, I mean, he started off a little bit injured at the beginning of his career, but after that, looked like they were going to start building around Joel Embiid. But here's the problem. In the years after drafting Joel Embiid, this is the process. This is the beginning of really super hyper analytical vision in the NBA. It started kind of with the process 76ers where they're going to, I mean, really tanking in general kind of began with the 76ers squad. Uh, The idea of tanking in general to get better draft picks, to build a team around that you can have uh, ultimate control over with uh, the rookie contract deals and stuff like that through this team the process 76ers uh, and it started with them. They drafted Joel Embiid uh, with their 2014 first pick. That was the third pick in the draft. Joel Embiid was their, I think really their first guy that really started the process. The beginning of the process was him. That's why they nicknamed him the process, obviously, but they hit on one. And then after that, in three straight years, uh, they missed on, they missed, let's just put it that way. Uh, in 2015, their first player selected the third pick, the same spot as Joel Embiid in 2015, was Jalil Okafor. Uh, he didn't pan out for the 76ers whatsoever, and he was the third pick in that draft. And in that same draft, uh, Devin Booker was taken 13th, and Miles Turner was taken 11th. And Montrezl Harrell, even as well, uh, 32nd was taken in that draft as well. So a huge miss by the 76ers there. Then they do it again in 2016. Uh, this again, this is all hindsight as well, but I think you have to make a legitimate conversation. Thanks to hindsight, uh, from what we've seen over, uh, in the, in the, the process 76 years over their history, uh, in 2016, they have the first pick in the, in the, in the draft as well. They take Ben Simmons, which that didn't pan out for basically anybody, uh, who has acquired Ben Simmons or when he was on that team. And that's been an unmitigated disaster. Uh, but other than Ben Simmons, in that draft, DeMontis Sabanis was taken. Pascal Siakam, Jakob Pertl, uh, Ivaka Zubak, Lisko, Jalen Brown, Jamal Murray were all taken in that draft. Brandon Ingram was taken in that draft after Ben Simmons, the first overall pick. Those are all guys that were taken after Ben Simmons. So a huge miss there by the 76ers. Then 2017, Markel Fultz, uh, a historic bad bust. Uh, you know, I don't say bad, but I, I would say a bust with the first overall pick uh, in Markel Fultz. And then three picks, two picks after the Sixers take Markel Fultz, the guy that eliminates them this season, Jason Tatum, is picked with the third pick by the Boston Celtics. Bam Adebayo is also in that draft. Jared Allen's in that draft. Donovan Mitchell's in that draft. Uh, Laurie Markin is in that draft. De'Aaron Fox is in that draft. All after Mul- uh, Markel Fultz. So the Sixers nail it in 2014 with Joel Embiid. The process begins with the process in Joel Embiid. But in the years that follow, 2015, 2016, 2017, the process uh, being the 76ers completely fails them. They go basically 0 for 3, I would say, uh, other than maybe the early years of Ben Simmons. Uh, but Joel, Jaleel Okafor was, I would say, a bust at 3. And then Marco Fultz has been a bust at 1 overall, especially when you look at the guys that were drafted behind him. And especially when you look at the fact that Jason Tatum was drafted 3rd overall, the guy that just dropped 51 points on uh 
the team that could have draft, drafted him at one overall uh, and the biggest Game 7 performance that we have ever seen in terms of points. So there is a legitimate conversation to be had for the 76ers when it comes to uh, the success, the overall success of the process, whether it be the fact that Joel Embiid has won a MVP. Sure, you can say that. Uh, but it has not gotten them anywhere past the Eastern Conference semifinals. and there should be more conversation. The further we go on, it could change. But as of right now, the process uh, by the 76ers, I think, has been more disappointing than fulfilling. Okay, that is NBA talk for this past weekend. We got conference finals coming up. Nuggets, Lakers, that'll be fun. Uh, the Nuggets, it looks like Jokic is just going to drag uh, whatever they need. Uh, this is a rematch of the bubble finals, or like bubble conference finals, by the way. Uh, the Heat and the Celtics are in the Eastern Conference, and the Nuggets and Lakers in the Western Conference. A rematch of the bubble. So maybe the bubble wasn't a fluke after all. Maybe it was a sign of things to come. I think that is probably more fairly uh, the conversation now to be had about the bubble playoffs. We'll see how it all pans out. I'm interested to see what Jokic can do against the Lakers and then Jimmy Butler just becoming a, a god in Miami, really, truly becoming one of the best uh, postseason players in the history of that franchise. And they had LeBron James and Dwayne Wade for 15 years in that city. And Jimmy Butler is really... I think putting stories in Miami of uh, playoff heroics that are bigger than I think any of Dwayne Wade's and LeBron James's, other than maybe LeBron's like game six against Boston. But Jimmy has he's become Hemi, if you will. OK, let's move on really quickly. I don't want to talk about this for too long because I think the overanalyzation of the NFL schedule release is kind of ridiculous. The fact that we're already doing um win losses with the schedule release is kind of ridiculous. I just want to talk about the fact that somehow, somehow, some way the NFL has found a way to make the schedule release and maybe not even just the NFL, the teams in the NFL have made the NFL schedule release more fun than it even needs to be. It's a schedule release. You're just looking at opponents on a piece of paper and who they're going to be playing. There's no real analysis that needs to be done about it because we have no idea how any of those teams are going to look when it comes to uh, that point in the season. Um, but it's incredible, incredible to me how the NFL really just has a stranglehold on every single one of us sports fans. It is the middle of May. It is May 16th. And when the NFL schedule, when all the teams released their schedule, it was the trending thing for basically three days. Uh, we had incredible videos of all these schedule releases. The Chargers did a really good one. The Titans did a hilarious one uh, where they were just walking on the street of, um, I can't remember which street it is, which famous street it is in Nashville. Uh, but they were walking down the street and they were asking people that didn't know anything about football uh, and try to predict what team it is that they were showing. And it was just a really funny video that they put out on TikTok. The Chargers did a ver another very well-made anime one. Uh, there's a lot of sketch ones with the, the, I think the Bears did a sketch one. There's a lot of those. Uh, and it's incredible that it, it really actually, and I appreciate the fact that it allows uh, these NFL, like they used to be so boring. It would just be a list. Hey, this is who we're playing during the season. But now it's allowing like the social media people to get really creative with how they want to release it. And you see it with uh, the Chargers, obviously, and uh, the Titans, obviously, the Bears as well. The, the Giants did one with an escape room. It just blows my mind how far we've come in basically five short years with the schedule release in the NFL. Had It's essentially become an event. It's like video game trailers uh, during like E3. Uh, if this is going to be 
if you have no idea what I'm talking about, I apologize. But we all looked at E3 as sort of the gaming convention of the season uh, or the trailer convention where you'd see all the new upcoming releases and stuff like that. And then uh, you'd see the trailers and be like, okay, this is awesome. This is incredible. And you'd always mark it on your calendar. And now the NFL is doing that with schedule releases where they're making clips and edits and all this sort of stuff about their schedule releases. And it's just become an event for the social media team. It's really shown the evolution of how the NFL does uh, a lot of their schedule, uh, just their social media in general. It's a year. It is a year round thing uh, that I don't think we, a lot of us think about it that way uh, until it happens. And then we see the schedule release and then it's trending on Twitter or whatever for three days. And you're rewatching the videos to see who you're playing uh, and stuff like that. It's just the NFL is really coming for we are going to make this a year round thing that you're going to pay attention to, even if there is no football on at the moment, you're going to pay attention to what we're doing because it's the NFL and we know you need that injection of football. It's incredible. The other thing uh, with the NFL schedule release, the only date that really I want to talk about really, uh, really quickly is uh, Amazon. Similarly to the NFL is really trying to just capture a single day that they will not allow you to break away from your screens or your consumerism as a human being because on Black Friday, Amazon Prime is going to have a game. I think it's the Dol- no, the Jets and the Dolphins. Yeah, the Jets and the Dolphins on Black Friday, and it's on Amazon Prime. And the middle of that day, they're going to be having Prime deals that you can snag while you're watching the game. And Amazon Prime is just becoming the thing where you can get every piece of content that you'll ever need as a consumer. On Black Friday, you can watch football a day after Thanksgiving, uh, with the Arguably, football's second biggest day outside of the Super Bowl, Thanksgiving, uh, and then Black Friday, they're going to have another game on Amazon Prime where you'll get primetime deals while the game is going on. You'll be able to see it on your screen, and it's all run through Amazon. Amazon Prime, Amazon, if they weren't coming for literally everything already at this point, and people will say that the Thursday night football thing was a failure for Amazon, but the thing is, Amazon has that money to just throw away like they don't care. You know what I mean? They're big enough to just throw that money, have that option for them in the on Thursday Night Football. Granted, they want it to succeed because it'll only make them bigger. But in the the grand scheme of things, they don't necessarily need it to be make or break for them to succeed. You know what I mean? It's not them counting on the end of that part of Thursday night football to succeed because they can also do whatever they want without it. And now they're just going to come into black Friday and be like, Hey, look, you can watch more football. Plus you can shop all the deals that we have because we're Amazon and we're arguably the biggest thing on planet earth other than, you know, water. And it kind of sucks because I know I'm going to fall for it. I'm going to be there on black Friday. I'm going to be watching jets dolphins. And then I'm going to see some black Friday deal pop up and with eight minutes left in the second quarter on my, on my TV screen on prime and be like, Hey, by the way, right now flash sale, head over to Amazon. If you're watching this and go purchase yada, yada, yada for, you know, half off because you're watching the game. That is something that is going to happen. And we are all going to fall for it. I can't believe I, I cannot believe we have gotten to this point with one, the NFL, and two, Amazon, and just consumerism in general. We have really, really go, gone. At, at some point, we're going to have you know ads in space because we're looking up, and that's time that we could be looking at an advertisement. We're not far away from that. Uh, anyways, that's what we're gonna. That's all we're gonna talk about the schedule release. We're not gonna preview any games or anything like that. It's May, people. All right, let's chillax. Not gonna preview any games, but I just thought the uh, the crazy difference from just five years ago with the schedule releases in the NFL. 
uh, to today and how creative they've gotten. Um, and then just Amazon coming to take every piece of attention that they have uh, or uh, that you have and take it away from you so that they can sell you something uh, while watching a football game on Amazon really just blows my mind. Uh, anyways, that I believe is going to wrap up the show. I want to thank you all very much for tuning in. Uh, thank you very much to Jack and Kathleen Wood uh, from 307 Real Estate for sponsoring the show. Please go check them out from all, for all of your real estate needs. Uh, for the podcast, you can get this anywhere. You can get it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts now. I know we were having issues with that before, but we fixed it. It is all fixed now. You can find all the episodes from previous episodes on Apple Podcasts. You don't have to go searching for it on uh, Chrome or anything like that. It is on Apple Podcasts. If you're using that, you can find it there as well now or anywhere else that you listen to your podcast. Google Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, Pandora is doing podcasts, you know, the whole spiel. You can find it wherever you'd like, or you can listen to it on Chrome. Uh, you can also listen to it on sharedmedia.com as well. So uh, if you want to do it that way, feel free to go to sharedmedia.com. It is right there. Uh, I believe just a little bit lower, about a quarter of the way down the page, you'll see all of our lists of podcasts uh, and you can uh, listen to it there as well. So I greatly appreciate that. If you're listening to it on any of those podcasting platforms, please remember please remember to leave a rating, five stars if you, if you don't mind. It really helps us getting into the trending area of the podcasting platforms and it helps, makes, it helps make the podcast grow. So I greatly appreciate that. But for now, I want to thank you all for tuning in. We'll be back next week. We're not taking any time off next week so we will certainly be back next week uh and we'll see you then thank you very much for tuning in you've been listening to the weekend sports wrap podcast and i have been your host james timberlake